embarrassing, disgusting, terrible, season-ending. There's probably a lot more ways to describe what the heck happened at Oriole Park on Monday night. But I just don't have the words for a despicable Orioles performance. Yet, I'll try to recap it coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at what was by far, without question, the Orioles' worst loss of the season. Coming to the Detroit Tigers on Monday night. And if the playoff chances weren't already over, they certainly are. After that performance, I'll give you the five things you need to know from that one. Plus, we'll take a look at the Orioles lineup and what it could be for the rest of the year. Because this team is struggling to hit. But at the very least, I'll give the case for why they need to just play the rookies. And why Kyle Stowers and Taryn Vavra should be in there almost every day for the O's. And then we'll take a little look at the Orioles minor league level. How the Bowie Bay Sox came up just short of the playoffs. And how the Aberdeen Ironbirds have advanced to the championship series. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you could leave a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really helps out the pod a lot. And remember, we're here on YouTube as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. And hey... We're here with you, no matter how poorly or well the O's play, Monday through Friday, five days a week, a new episode of the podcast, and we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, well, that was ugly. That was ugly. I'm actually recording here. The game technically is not over yet. It's the bottom of the ninth inning, but I had uh, certainly for a while seen enough. The Orioles trailing 11-0 in the ninth, I'm assuming... From what I've seen, that's going to be the final score. As the Orioles drop game one of a three-game home series against the lowly Detroit Tigers and drop to 76 and 70 on the season. Elsewhere in the wildcard race, if it really does still matter, Seattle beat the Angels and Tampa Bay did lose to Houston with the Blue Jays off today. Means the O's are five back of Seattle for the final wildcard spot. They're still five and a half back of Tampa and now six and a half back of the Toronto Blue Jays. But the five things you need to know from the Orioles' loss to the Tigers, and it starts with number one and really the big issue in this game. And you wouldn't think this would be the top issue when you give up 11 runs, but the top issue, it's been the issue in all of September. The Orioles just simply can't hit right now. And they almost really didn't hit on Monday night. The Orioles, no hit for six innings in this game. Now, as I record, they had two hits entering the bottom of the ninth inning. Got them both in the seventh. Ryan Mountcastle led off with a single. Anthony Santander followed with a single. Of course, they didn't get any runs in, but 
No hit for six innings until Mountcastle finished it off. And hey, shout out to Mountcastle. I mean, he had a, a one for two with a single and, and two walks in this game. So, you know, at least he was able to get himself on base. And the Euros did draw four walks, but it was abysmal. And I mean, the at-bats were just not there. It wasn't a crazy bad strikeout game. I mean, you know, the O's, they only struck out five times. That's for a nine-inning game in 2022. That's honestly pretty good. You feel pretty good at the end of a game after you strike out five times. The Orioles had four hard-hit balls as a team. One from Jesus Aguilar. One from Gunnar Henderson in the second inning where he just missed a solo home run. And then two from Ramon Arias. And none of them ended up being hits. You can't have four hard-hit balls against the Detroit Tigers. And yet here we are. And the offense has been getting worse and worse. And I hope it came to a valley on Monday night. Because all the approach changes all the swing changes, everything that had gone right for the Orioles' offense earlier this year to put them in a spot to be in a playoff chase has evaporated here in September. And they weren't even getting the production from the guys who have produced. Adley Rutschman in 0-for-3, he did draw a walk, and Gunnar Henderson had an 0-for-3 as well. It was just tough, tough to watch. I mean, they've had some bad performances this year. Don't get me wrong. But to lose to the Tigers like this, the Tigers, it's just their 56th win. They're 56 and 91. Wow, it's going to be tough to bounce back from that one. But the second thing you need to know from this one is that not only was it the Tigers, but, you know, we're not talking about the 2014 Tigers. We're not talking about Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander. We're not even talking about some of the Tiger pitchers who have a really bright future like Tarek Skubal or even Matt Manning, some of their younger guys. We're talking about Tyler Alexander, who threw six no-hit innings in this game. Ended up going seven innings in this one. Two hits, of course, no runs, four Ks and two walks. It took him just 87 pitches and just three hard-hit balls for Alexander. A guy who lowered his ERA to 4.91 on the year with seven scoreless innings. It's not like he's been great. His last time out before this start, five innings, four runs, six hits against the Kansas City Royals. The start before that, four and a third innings, six runs, 10 hits against the Los Angeles Angels. Those are two very bad baseball teams that he got hit around by in his last two starts. Then he faces a team in a playoff race. And they can't do squat against him. I mean, Will Vest and Jose Cisnero each pitched an inning to finish off this game. But it was seven from Tyler Alexander. And the O's just never stood a chance against him. Third thing you need to know as we go over to the Orioles pitching side. That was almost as bad as their offense. Tyler Wells, who made his third start back off the injured list. Just did not look anything close to the Tyler Wells that we saw before the oblique injury this season. He goes three-plus innings, allowing five runs on four hits with three Ks and a season-high three walks for Wells. He got up to 66 pitches, five hard-hit balls against him. But it was just a really odd start because he goes out there. 
He retires the first two batters of the game on seven pitches, strikes out Riley Green on a filthy changeup, gets Victor Reyes to pop out on 0-2, and he seems to be going good. Javier Baez chases a, a good pitch and barely grounds it up the middle for a two-out base hit, and then he makes a good pitch to Miguel Cabrera, who kind of floats the ball into shallow left center field. I have no idea what Austin Hayes was doing defensively. He calls for the ball, then he looks at Cedric Mullins, then he lets it drop in, and Baez scores from first to give the Tigers the lead. But Wells did settle down. He retires seven in a row. He gets through three innings. It's a one nothing game. And then he comes out there in the fourth and just lost all command, something I haven't seen from Tyler Wells since really early in 2021 when he kind of first started his major league career. And he just he just didn't have it at all. I mean, it wasn't just the walks, which, you know, obviously the three walks ties the season high. He's been an incredible strike thrower this year. But it was missing his spots time and time again in this game. And I just don't know what happened. And he loads the bases in the third, walks in a run, gets pulled from the game, and all three of those runners end up scoring as well. And the O's just got behind the eight ball, and obviously they didn't hit, which didn't help. But, man, I, I don't know if Wells came back too quick. You know, he came back quicker than we thought, kind of was getting eased back in at the major league level. But something was not right for Tyler Wells on Monday night. Fourth thing you need to know is that it didn't get much better after Wells left the game. The Orioles turned to D.L. Hall with the bases loaded, nobody out, down 2-0 in the top of the fourth. And it was a great start for Hall. He pounded the strike, so he strikes out Tucker Barnhart on three pitches to make it one out. And you're thinking, okay, can he get out of this jam? Maybe he allows one more. Then a wild pitch allows a run to score. And then I got to give credit to Hall. Yeah, he let some run score, but he didn't pitch poorly. I mean, the wild pitch was tough, but he didn't walk anybody and then there was a two-run single that it came off the bat of Akil Badu. I mean, it dropped in just barely past the infielders in left field for a two-run single. The runner at second got a really good jump on the play, and it was a good pitch. I mean, he hit the ball 63 miles an hour off the bat. It was basically a pop-up that fell in and scored two runs. And he did give up one hard hit ball and an RBI double from Riley Green later in the inning, but... He was in the strike zone in 18 pitches, but every O's reliever gave up a run. Jake Reed came in there, allowed an earned run over an inning. Keegan Aiken allowed a run over an inning. Mike Bauman allowed a run over two innings. And then, heck, the Orioles for the second time in 10 games, they had Ryan McKenna pitching. He gave up two runs in the top of the ninth. They went to a position player again. They had done it once up until September. Now they've done it twice in the last 10 days. That's how things seem to be going for the Orioles. Just not good right now. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that, yeah, it's not good. And yeah, this is one of the worst losses of the season. When you combine the scoreline, the fact that there were no hit through six innings, and the opponent, the Tigers, one of the bottom three teams in baseball. I mean, the Detroit Tigers have by far the worst offense in the majors. And the O's, at least actual pitchers, gave up nine runs in eight innings. That's pretty bad. Probably the most embarrassing, definitely the most embarrassing loss of the year, by far. But it just kind of seems like to at least not continue to pile on the O's, it just kind of seems like this group is out of gas. And credit to Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson for their hot hitting this month. But remember, neither of them have played, you know, the, the full big league season. Adley came up in May, Henderson coming up at the beginning of September. Guys like Anthony Santander and Ramon Arias, 
and even Cedric Mullins, and then certainly Jorge Mateo, certainly Austin Hayes. They're just running out of gas at the plate, and some of the relievers are starting to lose some of their shine as well because there's a lot of rookies in that bullpen who have never pitched a full major league season, and they're just running out of steam. And it's tough to watch this team do it. And once they have this September under their belt, they're going to be better for it going forward, moving into 2023 and beyond, when this O's team hopefully really starts to go for it. And obviously they're going to need to add some bats this offseason. But I think a lot of it is everyone knows the O's played way over their heads this year. They were the biggest surprise team in Major League Baseball. Nobody thought this team could have a winning record right now, let alone be in a playoff race in September. And I think they're coming crashing back down to the mean. You combine that with just an exhausted team that's had to go 110% every night all year to keep themselves somehow with this roster in a playoff race. And I think it's kind of crumbling on top of them. And again, I hope the O's... You know, right now they have 16 games remaining. I hope they can at least at least win six of them to get to 82 wins and finish over 500. But it's kind of crumbling down. They're out of gas, and it's just tough to watch right now, especially against a team as bad as the Tigers. And really, when you're at this point, it's crumbling down. Well, play the young guys. Play the guys who are going to be on your future team. And that's what I'm talking about next, because we know Gunner and Adley are going to play every day, but... You know, Vavra and Stowers, they played in the game Monday, but they weren't in the starting lineup against a lefty. I think with the struggles this offense is having, just play the kids, play the rookies, play them every day, and see what they've got down the stretch here for the Orioles. We'll talk about what the O's should do with those lineups and why they should play those young guys coming up here next. But if you're looking for some new life, some new young guys into your business, some people who can really help things, you should check out LinkedIn because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. So that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. I'm starting a new job soon. LinkedIn Jobs certainly helped me in my search from this side. But on the other side, you can post your job then you can add the purple hiring frame and they've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. You can get the right person for any job you need to fill. LinkedIn Jobs, it helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MLB. That's linkedin.com slash MLB. To post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So as we saw in the Orioles starting lineup on Monday night against the Detroit left-hander Tyler Alexander, the O's didn't exactly go with a lot of lefties. And specifically, I mean, you're going to see that in most major league lineups with a left-handed pitcher on the mound. You're going to try to stack your lineup with right-handers. And notably, we didn't see two rookie Orioles lefties who have really factored in, especially lately and over the weekend, in Taron Vavra and Kyle Stowers in that starting lineup. And that's something that we have seen since the two of them have gotten called up. Stowers has only one plate appearance against a lefty this year, and it was only in that series in June back in Toronto when he replaced the then-unvaccinated Anthony Santander, faced a lefty, and got hit by a pitch. Since he's got called up again, he has not faced a lefty at all. 
Favre has faced him six times. He is one for five with a single, a strikeout, and a walk in his six plate appearances against lefties at the big league level. So certainly those guys haven't faced him, but they've been swinging it well recently, especially Terran Favre, especially in his big three for seven weekend, getting two starts in the series this weekend in Toronto. And I kind of wanted to talk about how I think it's time for the Orioles and whether or not they continue to stay in this race or they fall out of it, it's time to play these rookies more often. And I will give Brandon Hyde and the Orioles credit, although it's been really an easy decision. I mean, ever since Adley Rushman has come up, and specifically lately, and since the Orioles called up Gunnar Henderson on August 31st, those guys have played every day. I mean, Gunnar Henderson has only sat once since he got called up three weeks ago. I mean, he has been in there lefty or righty pretty much every day for the Orioles. And he's been great coming into play on Monday, a 166 WRC+. And just about 70 plate appearances, a 328 average, a 388 on base, a 557 OPS. He's been ridiculous. And Adley Rutschman has been just as good since Gunner got called up. Adley, since August 31st, that was the day that the Orioles promoted Gunner Henderson, in his 69 plate appearances going into Monday since then, hitting 293 with a 406 on base, a 534 slugging, and a 170 WRC plus for Rutschman in that time. So despite the struggles of the Orioles' offense as a whole here in September, one of the reasons why they've kind of fallen further back in this postseason race, Adley and Gunner, as the eye test tells you and as the stats tell you, they have carried this Oriole offense. And when they've won games and when they've broken out some, it's been Henderson and Rutschman who seem to get the big hits. And obviously it's an easy decision to make. Both were number one prospects in baseball before getting called up. Both are locked in to be franchise cornerstones of this lineup for years to come. So obviously if you're Brandon Hyde, you're Mike Elias, you're going to play those guys pretty much every day. It was still nice to see that Henderson's playing even against the left-handers, but still easy decision. It's a little tougher decision with Stowers and Vavra, more, you know, back end of the top 10 guys, not necessarily, you know, franchise cornerstone studs moving forward. Maybe they could be, but the O's don't see them quite to that point, at least for now. But I'd still like to see them in the lineup. And I really think down the stretch of this season, 16 games remaining now for the Orioles, I would like to see at least three of the four of Rutschman, Vavra, Henderson, and Stowers in the lineup pretty much every day. And since Henderson and Rutschman are basically in there every day, I'd like to see at least one of Stowers and Vavra in there basically every game for the rest of the season for the Orioles. And Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun actually asked Brandon Hyde about this before Monday's game because, of course, Stowers and Vavra were not in the lineup against a lefty. But, you know, Vavra, he wasn't great against lefties in the minors, but Stowers was actually a better hitter in AAA against lefties. He had a 977 OPS against left-handers in AAA between 2021 and 2022 with the Norfolk Tides. And Ruiz asked Brandon Hyde about why, despite that fact, Stowers has only one plate appearance this year in the big leagues against a lefty. And basically Hyde's answer was, you know, we have guys like Austin Hayes and Ryan McKenna in this outfield who, you know, hit lefties well and need to get them at bats and talked about how Santander is going to be in there every day. And he didn't mention this, but, you know, Cedric Mullins was sitting against lefties for a while. Well, Cedric Mullins has been playing more often against lefties recently. Of course, he was in the lineup 
despite hitting eighth, was in the lineup against the lefty on Monday night. And he's a bat that lefty or righty, I think you need him in this Oriole order right now. So it makes sense that it's a little tougher to get a guy like Stowers in there. And even when it comes to Vavra, I mean, you know, Odor, despite his struggles, has been better against lefties than righties this year. And then you have Henderson, who's got to play, and Mateo much better against lefties. And, of course, you want Ramon Arias in there, who's better against lefties. So it's a little tougher for, for Taron Vavra to get in there. But I, I, would, I would like to see Kyle Stowers in there against a left-hander. So the lineup I'd like to see at least some of the time, you know, against a lefty, for the Orioles, I'd like to see Austin Hayes. He, he can lead off against a left-hander like he did on Monday night. Hopefully the bat's starting to come around. You have him in left field. Of course, Adley catching Santander, your DH, Mount Castle at first, Gunnar Henderson playing third, and then you get Ramon Arias in there at second base, and then you get Mullins in at center field, and then Mateo plays shortstop, and then, hey, you can bat him ninth if you want to. Just get Kyle Stowers in there, play in right field, in the nine hole against a lefty if you want to, but just get that bat in there. I think I'm okay with Vavra. Not playing against the lefties. Again, in the minors this year, Taron Vavra hit only 239 against left-handers, so not nearly the damage that Stowers did against lefties. So, you know, with Arias and Henderson and Mateo getting those at-bats, I'm okay with Taron Vavra not starting against left-handers. But with a 977 OPS in a large AAA sample size against left-handed pitch for Stowers, I'd like to see him get some of those chances. And I get that you want to have Santander in there every day, and I would still take Cedric Mullins, obviously, over Kyle Stowers in this lineup right now as a left-handed hitting outfielder. And then, you know, you want Austin Hayes because he's struggling to at least play against lefties. I mean, you still want Austin Hayes in the lineup at least sometimes, despite how bad his second half has been. I mean, you know, Hayes has a, a, a 1 or a 64, I should say, WRC plus in September. He's been bad, but you'd like to play him some, and I get that. But what I think the O's could do is... That lineup I just showed, which does take Jesus Aguilar out of the equation. Of course, he was in the lineup playing first base on Monday night. Some of that may have to do with Ryan Mountcastle. Again, the elbow still being sore, so he returned to the lineup, but just as the DH. So maybe when Mountcastle is back to 100%, you can take Aguilar back out of there. That opens up the DH spot. You can slide Santander there and, of course, put Stowers in the outfield. But at the end of the day, Ryan McKenna was not playing against a lefty on Monday night. And that's something you've been pretty certain you can see against a left-handed pitcher this year is that McKenna would start, usually in center field with Mullins sitting, because he's been so good against lefties. And in general, in the season, he has a 126 WRC plus against left-handers. But quietly, Ryan McKenna's been really bad against lefties recently. Over the past month and a half or so, McKenna is just five for his last 23 against left-handed pitchers. Now, he hasn't hit righties all year, but he was hitting lefties. He's not doing that anymore. And the lineup Monday night basically shows me that Ryan McKenna is solely a defensive replacement and pinch runner on this Orioles team right now. I, I doubt he will start more than one more game of the of the final 16 for the O's, if that. I think he'll he'll play, you know, he'll replace Santander in the ninth or replace, you know, whoever's out there, or he'll pinch run for some guys. He'll certainly get into some games. But I don't think more than one more start is on the table for Ryan McKenna. And that should open up more ABs, especially against lefties, for a guy like Kyle Stowers. And if Hayes continues to struggle against both sides of the plate, if the O's are really still trying to win and they're really in this thing, just play Stowers over Hayes. You've got a huge sample size of Austin Hayes. Get some more looks at Kyle Stowers in the big leagues before this offseason and see what kind of piece he really can be moving forward playing against both righties 
and lefties. I, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Again, I wouldn't mind to see Jesus Aguilar in there from time to time if he needs to be. You know, he still hits lefties better and a big right-handed power hitter, and you know, we did see him homer on Sunday. But even if it's hitting ninth, give me Stowers against the lefty. And then when you turn to the right side, I would really like to see all four of these rookies in the lineup against a righty pretty much almost every time. I'd, I'd like to see Mullins in center leading off against a right-handed pitcher. Then you have Adley catching, hitting second. Santander in right field, hitting third. Then I'd put Gunnar Henderson fourth at third base with Ryan Mountcastle at first base, hitting fifth. Then I'd have Taron Vavra hitting sixth as the DH. You can have Ramon Arias in there hitting seventh at second base. Then Stowers hitting eighth in left field. And Jorge Mateo batting ninth and playing shortstop. And that's a way to get all these guys in. Now, obviously, in that scenario, you are sitting a guy like Rugnet Odor, who has played for you. You are sitting a guy like Jesus Aguilar, although I don't think either of those moves is an issue. Now, the biggest benched guy there, obviously, is Austin Hayes, who's been mostly an everyday player for you all year, but he's just been so bad. I think you can just sit him against righties for the rest of the year. And if you need to get another bat in there, if you feel like, hey, Rugnet Odor has a really good matchup. We want him in there against this right-handed hitter. You can sit Arias at times. I mean, he's only got an 89 WRC plus in September. Or you could, you know, move Gunnar Henderson to shortstop and you could sit Mateo at times. I mean, Jorge Mateo has just a 65 WRC plus in September. The bat after a great August has gone completely cold again this month. So, you know, I'd like him to play against lefties, but Henderson's shown he can play shortstop defensively very well. And then you could put, you know, a guy like Odor in the infield if you needed to. Or you could get, you know, a bat like Hayes into the lineup. And then, you know, you could fill out the DH and, you know, still have Henderson able to play short and Vavra play second and a guy like Arias play third in that scenario. Now, I don't want to sit Arias and Mateo at the same time because then your defense definitely takes a hit. Mateo has been elite defensively at shortstop. Arias has been elite defensively at third and plays a really good second base as well. So I'd like at least one of those guys to be in the lineup at all times, at least to be in there for defense. And, you know, if Mateo sits on a day, he can certainly come in as a defensive replacement late in the game, as can Ramon Arias. But just the way that Vavra has been swinging the bat, and I mean, in general, you know, he had a good weekend. He's only had 68 plate appearances coming into Monday. I mean, he's hitting 276, 353 on base, a 102 WRC+. plus. I mean, I'd play that. He's been way better than Rugnet Odor. And quite frankly, those season-long numbers average out to better than what Ramon Arias has done. And especially recently when Arias has been struggling a little bit. I would play Vavra over him at this point. He takes good at-bats. He, he, he works the count. He's able to use the whole field. And I know he went into a little slump, and that's why he hadn't played for a while. But he should be back in there for the Orioles. So that's kind of what I'm looking at for this Oriole lineup. I mean, against righties, I don't think there's going to be any excuse to not have all four of those rookies in there. And against lefties, let's play Kyle Stowers. Let's see what he can do, especially if Austin Hayes continues to struggle. Because Ryan McKenna, I think, is basically out, and there's going to be some at-bats to be had in that outfield against lefties, and just give him to Kyle Stowers. And I know he struggled, and it's only been 57 plate appearances, but you know he's only hitting 231 with an 81 WRC plus at the major league level, but he was your co-minor league player of the year with Adley Rutschman last year, and he destroyed AAA pitching this year as well, especially against lefties. And I think you just, you just got to give him that chance. 
and see where it goes. Because part of Brandon Hyde's quote when he was asked about not playing Stowers against lefties before the game Monday was about, you know, if we were 20 games under 500, this is paraphrasing, he said things would be different. Basically alluding to if the O's were way out of it like they've been the last couple of years, Stowers would be playing every day. They'd be getting a close look at it. But he's saying, hey, we're still right in the middle of a playoff race. We want to look at these best matchups. And he feels like Stowers against a lefty doesn't give him a better matchup than a guy like Hayes or even for a while McKenna or Jesus Aguilar does give to this Orioles lineup. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be shown that just getting Stowers in there every day can help the team currently and will help the team moving forward as well if Stowers can get those lefty ABs as he heads into 2023. But that's really the whole point here. I mean, he dominated those lefties at the minor league level. Just at least give him a shot. One plate appearance is not a shot. Give him a shot to at least see what he can do. You got to put all your cards on the table when you're four games behind and, you know, your chances are slimming and slimming. Just throw everything out there. Stowers against the lefties got to be one of those things because he certainly got it done in the minor leagues. But Speaking of the minor leagues, the Orioles have had some great success in the minor leagues this year. We've chronicled it throughout the season, and they actually got one of their teams, as we've talked about on this podcast, into the playoffs. That was the Aberdeen Ironbirds and the Bowie Bay Sox. They came up just short of the postseason as well. So coming up next to finish off the pod, we'll talk about those two teams, how one had its season ended, and one is still playing for a title here this week. So we're looking down at the Orioles' minor league levels. Of course, the major league team is fighting for a postseason berth at this point, but they got a minor league team in the playoffs as well, and that is the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who we will get to in a second. But first, I want to talk about the Bowie Bay Sox, because they were oh so close of getting to the playoffs as well. They had this final week, did Bowie, and they really had a good shot to get into the postseason. All they had to do, it came down to winning a game on Sunday. If they won their game Sunday, they were in. If they lost, they would lose the tiebreaker to Erie. Unfortunately, Cade Povich got lit up a bit in the start, and Bowie lost 8-5 to on Sunday, ended up in a second-half tie with the Erie Seawolves at 41-28, and and because Erie won the season series, they win the second-half title in their division of the Eastern League, so Erie is into the playoffs. They are the Detroit Tigers double A affiliate, but it was a great second half from Bowie, who, you know, they were okay in the first half, but in the second half, they end up going 41 and 28. The Bay Sox had a plus 114 run differential in the second half. In 69 games, a plus 114 run differential. That is absurd. Erie, who had the same record as Bowie, had a plus 36 run differential. So that tells you the Bay Sox were by far the best team in the Eastern League in the second half. And it had a lot to do with that lineup, just absolutely dominating teams being led by Connor Norby. And congrats to Norby, who is now up to 25 home runs on the year. And he has been promoted to AAA Norfolk, courtesy of the guys at BSL on the verge and Bob Phelan reporting that earlier on Monday morning that Norby will be heading up to Norfolk to play out the final about 10 days of the Norfolk Tide season as he'll get a little taste of AAA here at the end of the year as Norby has just had an incredible minor league season. It was tough to see Bowie's season end like that, be oh so close to the playoffs and just not be able to get in, but they continue to roll through some great prospects through that team and you know things are looking up, especially 
for a guy like Connor Norby who is going to AAA. But the O's do have one minor league team that is still playing postseason baseball, and that is the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who were in the South Atlantic League North Division Championship Series against the Brooklyn Cyclones at the high A level. The Cyclones, the Mets high A affiliate. And the Ironbirds dropped the first game of that series in Brooklyn last week, but came back on Thursday and Friday night to win games two and three and win the North Division title and advance to the South Atlantic League Championship Series against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. That's the high A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. And just shout out to this Aberdeen team. I mean, they've been reinforced with some of the Orioles' draft picks from this year, Dylan Beavers, Max Wagner, and Judd Fabian, Adam Retzbach. They were all in the lineup in Game 1 on Sunday against the Hot Rods, and they did fall in Game 1, falling 5-3 to three in the first game of the series. Hot Rods got two in the bottom of the eighth to come up with the victory, but Billy Cook had a 2-for-3 day. Judd Fabian had a big two-run homer in the fifth that tied the game. He continues to just mash the baseball after being drafted. He's already up in High A Aberdeen, and the Ironbirds are back at home on Tuesday night for Game 2 of this series, trying to turn the series around and win a South Atlantic League High A championship. But it's been pretty cool to see this team get into the postseason. That was their first ever series win in the postseason for the Aberdeen Ironbirds. It was cool to see. And uh, hey, head out to Aberdeen if you have the chance this week to see if they can bring home a title. And we'll be updating you on how they do in the championship series later this week. But it's not just the success at the major leagues. It's the success at the minor leagues as well. And it's not all about wins and losses. Certainly not. It's way more about development in the minors. But if you have good players in the minor leagues, usually leads to more wins as well. And that's what certainly has happened with the O's minor league affiliates here in 2022. But back at the big league level, O's have game two. Tonight, between Baltimore and Detroit at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And then I'll be back with you tomorrow here on the podcast for a Wednesday episode. We'll recap the second game of that Tigers-Orioles series. We'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. Plus, we'll take a look at how the Ironbirds did in Game 2 against the Hot Rods and continue to bring you all this Orioles coverage as they continue this playoff push here in September. But that's coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.